0: podcast. My name is Tim Peterson. I'm a senior media editor at Digiday.
1: And I'm Kaylee Barber, media editor at Digiday.
0: Kaylee, this week you spoke with Aileen Drexler, who is the CEO and co-founder of Betches Media, and David Spiegel, who is the chief revenue officer at Betches Media. And Kaylee, you wrote late last year about how, you know, Betches was one of these publishers that, you know, was really, you know, going a bit harder at YouTube Shorts and kind of making this pivot to short-form video or, you know, Part of the publishers pivoting to short form vertical video. What has Betches been doing on that front?
1: We talk a good deal about short form video and their social media strategy because Betches Media is so rooted in social. They had uh, you know started out more as like a blog type publication and have expanded greatly since then um, and really, because they've been so native to social and they've built such a following, their you know, primary audience comes through social media um, channels, they talk about how in in this episode, they talk about how their social media origins have made it really easy for them to kind of tag along on this trajectory towards short form vertical video being kind of like, I don't know the next like shiny thing in the media industry. So, because of that, we talk about you know TikTok and Instagram, but also uh, YouTube Shorts and how they've been using that in their um, in their strategy and how it's you know. Really easy and, and relatively inexpensive content to turn out. So, for YouTube Shorts in particular, it's actually been a really great promotion tool for them uh, on their longer podcast video recordings. So, they post their podcast uh, episodes on YouTube in long form. You know, they have cameras in their studios recording these episodes and they're using their shorts. On that platform to promote those episodes, and uh, David talks about how well that's been performing for them. Interestingly, so uh, they're definitely active in short-form vertical video, as you know, as much as several other publishers are. But for them, I think uh, Aileen and David both feel like it's kind of a natural. Part of their business that they've been doing for years, um, unlike another publisher who might have been focused on more long-form video and uh, even like CTV programming, uh, which they do say they're they're looking forward to producing in twenty twenty three, getting more into that longer-form video, highly produced content as well. But short-form video definitely feels native to them.
0: Got it. And you mentioned they're using short-form vertical video as a you know marketing or content promotion tool. Are they making any money directly from the short form vertical videos or is it exclusively marketing and promotion?
1: Yeah, they're making money. So they have branded posts that they put out and the way that they approach short form vertical video editorially is how they're approaching it in their brand deals as well. And David uh, talks about at the end kind of how uh, 2022 ended up being a really big growth year for them. Um, Their revenue is up 40% year over year. Um, And so it's an interesting case because you know you and I have talked about in the past like how has short form vertical video been for publishers you know trying to make money off of it. it's not always the easiest from a revenue share perspective but I think going the branded route they're seeing success so far um, and so yeah Aileen and David talk a lot about how they're making it work for their business and how they anticipate it working in 2023 as well
0: cool interested curious to hear more thanks Kayla thanks
1: Tim Aileen, David, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks Doing for having great. us. I'm good. I'm good. So, Aileen, you and your co-founders were on the podcast about a year and a half ago at this point. Um That was a year and a half ago? It was. Yeah. I was like, I was listening to it uh before this recording just to like, you know, kind of use it as a almost compare and contrast of like how things are how things have changed in that year and a half. Um, David, I know you joined the Betches team. so uh, I'm what's changed. <laughs> yeah. So you're part of the inspiration for having this episode again. Um, but yeah, I really wanted to kind of use it as almost like a, you know, again, like a comparing contrast of how things have changed since 2021, mid 2021. Um, 2022 for a lot of people were was a really kind of Wild year that was a little unexpected. Um, and David, I know we talked, I think last month at this point, um, about some of the things that you're seeing heading into 2023 that I really wanted to kind of get you on the podcast to discuss further. Um, but yeah, it's been a year and a half, uh, which is crazy. Um, but I think first question to kind of like warm up uh, the audience is just, could you give us a little bit of a rundown of where Betches is right now, Betches Media, how expansive it is, how much you've grown in the past year and a half, and um, which uh, platforms or channels are kind of your maybe like marquee distribution points, I guess.
2: Um, yeah, sure. I, first of all, I cannot believe that was a year and a half ago. If you would have asked me, I would have been like four months ago. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, I, I, we have definitely grown a lot in the last um, year. 2022 has been a growth year for us as it has been in the years past. Um, we're definitely building our team more. As you see, David has joined the team. We hired a chief content officer and just a lot, filling out more gaps on in our um, organization. Um, and this year, we've been primarily focused on podcasts, Um, A lot of, you know, very funny skit, sketch, comedy on video. And we launched our first, um, I guess, alcohol. We launched Faux Pas this year. And that has been really, really exciting for us to see a a product um, distributed, like in liquor stores, um, that we created, that we put our brand on. And um, that's definitely not going to slow down in the next year. Um, but it's been an awesome year for us so far, and yeah, we can talk about more, more growth for next year w- when you asked David that question. <laughs> yeah.
1: So obviously, David, you joined as CRO this year, um, and when, you, when we talked, Aileen, uh, last time, I think your headcount was about 30 people. Um, what's your total headcount now? And, and David, why did Betches speak to you as you know, the next place for you to go?
3: So uh, we are, I believe, at 51 employees now. Is that the correct number? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, That's and correct. and hiring, which is you know, there's a there's a lot of exciting stuff going on. You know, kind of counterprogramming the narrative that exists in LinkedIn and Twitter right now with constantly posting new jobs, which is great uh, and really a sign of the times. I mean, I think that for myself, you know, I I think it's fair to say that I was not the the core consumer who discovered Betches on their own. I discovered it from uh, a former coworker who ended up coming here uh, two years ago. And I think the big thing that caught my eye, and it's the thing that I honestly say is like the biggest opportunity in the market, is this is like the most influential media brand that people in the media world aren't talking about. And it's the same as you, Kaylee, saying you're a fan. Whenever I'm talking to someone and I say, you know, pull up Betches on Instagram and tell me how many followers you have in common. And it's more than... You know, any of the major news organizations, it's more than places that I hired hundreds of people. It is always the number one most followed, uh, most follower in common uh, title, especially around women uh, in our female audience. So to me, I saw that that as this huge opportunity. When I went on and I was, when I applied for the job and started the conversations with Aileen and the founders, um, I went on and I had 150 followers in common with Betch's main and 149 of them are the smartest, funniest women I know in my life.
1: I guess to like pull some of the numbers, I went on your socials this morning. Um, You have 8.6 million followers on Instagram, which I think is your largest uh, following from all the social platforms. Um, And then you have over 863,000 followers on TikTok, uh, 12.6 thousand followers on YouTube, and 229,000 followers on Twitter, um... I would love to kind of unpack your social strategy because I know you guys are a very social-oriented brand. I interact with you guys on Instagram and TikTok primarily, and you're right. A lot of my friends also follow Betches. We are constantly sharing memes that get posted there um, in our, you know, chats and things like that. So, I'm and when we spoke last time, I think social and community were two of the bigger kind of areas of focus, um, especially with how Betches was founded and grew. Um, how does your I guess social strategy play into the growth that you mentioned, and um, your your growth strategy for next year, um, because I feel like you know, obviously there's been things going on at the platforms, um, and we could talk about some of the challenges too. But you know, looking holistically at your audience strategy, is social kind of your primary. Focus? Is that your primary channel at
2: this point? Just outside of social, and we'll get to the social strategy. We do also have our own original podcast network. Um, We're on pace for about 42, 43 million downloads this year. That has been growing year over year. We also have about 11,000 or 12,000 subscribers, um, paying subscribers to individual podcasts. So it's not, social is definitely important. To our growth strategy, but it's not the only piece of our growth strategy because, like you said, the platforms are a little bit unstable, not that reliable. And while we, it is the while it, we have the largest audience of all of our platforms on social, we have the most followers um, versus like how many people listen to each podcast daily. Um, it is just a piece of our growth strategy. We do intend to in the next year not just focus on social, but focus on personality driven content, you're going to be seeing a lot more creators, a lot more female comics, um, doing audio content, long form, short form um, video content on social. So TikTok and Instagram, and then also written content. So we also have a large newsletter subscriber list, um, just under a million. And we also plan to bring back a lot of very funny written content on our website. And so there's definitely a lot more than just the social when it comes to growth for the next year. Um, And then the other piece I think we can talk about is community. And that's something that we did do last year as a, a bit of a test coming out coming from COVID, which was um, bringing back our um, You Up Live tour. And it was an amazing turnout. I think we had six. In 2019, we did like a 21-city tour, um, sold out shows. Some of the theaters had 1,200 seats. They were all sold out. The videos are amazing. This year, we tested with six. And the appetite for live is definitely there within our audience. So we're going to be continuing that into the next year. So that's also part of our growth the community, and bringing the community together.
1: The U UP Live, that's just um, your podcast,
2: like your live podcast show, right? That's just the one, yeah, the one show. And so we're going to mm-hmm. be expanding beyond just that, but also continuing that because the audience wants more.
3: I think, Kaylee, getting to your, to your question, I think one of the things to, to kind of frame us around is what we've really identified is that we mm-hmm. are the, the largest platform for female-centric comedy out there. And that's both from female comedians, female centric topics and using that, you know, that's a pretty unique position to have and also a really great strength to lean into. So using that as well, where can we connect our audiences, both in person as well as, you know, through content? And that's where we're, you know, identifying new opportunities to, to, to put forward. And it's, it's going to be uh, really exciting as we kind of take the growth to the next level because, you know, I, I'm, I know we talked about it previously. One of the more, Fundamental things in Betch's history is uh, never taking outside capital. And so running this very organic growth method for for the last 11 years, we're now at a stage where, oh, we, you know, there's an opportunity to really kind of swing for the fences in different areas.
1: Sticking on audience for a second, um, I know one of the other things that we talked about, uh, you know, a year and a half ago is how important there, like how important the millennial uh, audience still was um, in your advertising strategy, but also just kind of in your general growth strategy and um, how you really grew the brand with kind of the life stages that millennial women um, were at Uh, as, you know, you founded the brand in college. So at the time there was a lot of college centric um, content. Now a lot of the posts I see are more like, you know, work centric, I guess, like, you know, in the office kind of funny, you know, Relatable content about working a nine-to-five. How, I guess, does Gen Z play into your strategy? Like, is that an area, uh, an audience segment that you are um, seeing more and more in your kind of age breakdown? Or is it still very millennial-focused?
3: Yeah, I think that, you know, there's... Again, humor kind of is universal, and you know, as we, as the the brand has grown up and its audience has aged up, we've obviously opened the gates in, the, in that other area. You know, I get asked that question a lot, right? Like, oh, well, what's your Gen Z strategy? And like, the the simpleton answer is, oh, well, we're on TikTok, and that's like the oh, the the dumbest answer you can give, and shame on me for ever saying it. But the reality is that. You know, one, there's a lot of relatable factors in there, both as Gen Z, as a young audience, but also as they enter the the professional world. Um, the kind of interesting thing is like, you know, across social, it's, it's about one fifth of our audience at this point. So millennial is still a huge chunk and still kind of the core, but that audience is continuing to grow. And as more people, you know, enter this stage of life where we make sense to them, it's going to be a natural fit. The other area that's really interesting to me. Is getting back to, you know, on the podcast side of things. Our podcast audience, according to the platform that shares demographics information, Spotify, um, is very young. It's significantly younger than our, um, than our social audiences. And I think it makes sense. I mean, you know, podcast listenership is a younger, more affluent audience. A lot of the subjects that we're talking about. Our younger, our our top show is a dating and relationship show. So it makes sense that that would appeal to a younger audience in, in many ways. Um, so, you know, for my, I, I think from a business standpoint, you know, we're seeing the organic opportunities there. And we've identified some of the things and even surveying our users. What do they want to see from us? Uh, and and breaking that out by age range also helps us prioritize. So yes, you know the the next generation of cohorts absolutely are are important, but we're not walking away because there's still so much territory to cover with millennial women as they continue to, you know, grow up, have more dispensable income, disposable income, and you know, have those little rugrats and everything else running around them.
1: Yeah, totally. And then um, I am curious, how much younger is your podcast audience versus like social? Well, now you're
3: grilling me. <laughs> it's about I <laughs> want to say. Show David, I know Um, I haven't looked at it. I haven't looked at it this month, but I would say if you know, if about one fifth of our social audience is is in that Gen Z cohort, it's about thirty three percent in Spotify, uh, which is only you know that's about forty percent of our podcast audience. But if you use that as an inference across the board. So it is, you know, it's pretty significant skewing.
1: Getting further into podcasts, because, um, you know, on the show in the past, obviously this is a podcast. So we get a little bit meta sometimes um, talking to people from p- the podcasting space. I am curious, like the advertising uh, side of it, because you have your subscription, your paid subscription as well, um, which is really fascinating and definitely want to get into that. But sticking with advertising for a little bit, um, given how kind of tumultuous this year was from an ad revenue standpoint for a lot of publishers and and, you know, the ad market holistically. Um, how have podcasts kind of performed for you guys? I know, David, you, we talked in the past about general revenue kind of being, you know, solid for you guys this year. It's a growth year, but specifically digging into podcasts, um, what are some of the, I guess, trends that you're walking away this year from? Are there certain types of advertising that is performing well, like programmatic, or, yeah. you know, what's the, what's the, yeah.
3: DIY? Well, you know, the business is still, um, you know, still driven a lot by performance advertisers. And, um, you know, when we have ones, and I think the other nice thing to to also call out is we are in several of our shows fairly selective because we have pretty strong uh, brand ideals that we stick to. So, you know, for uh, Diet Starts Tomorrow, which is health and wellness, but it's anti-diet trend, we're not going to take gimmicky fads that are trying to sell you things on Instagram. Um, So... Uh, performance advertisers still continue to be kind of the bulk of that business, but where we've seen a a continued increase is, you know, the opportunity to integrate a creative partnership across audio, social, newsletters, uh, events, you know, tying in that 360 approach and figuring out those multiple touch points because if you can create a creative concept, the root of a partnership, the seed of that idea, and then plant it in all these different platforms and see how it grows differently, that's obviously going to um, expand the impact for the people who do listen to multiple places, that's increasing frequency in multiple formats, which is obviously valuable, but it's also tapping into unknown audiences. So We've seen a pretty significant increase in what we define as mixed media deals. Um, but you know as a whole the business has grown pretty well we we do we opted into programmatic audio at, towards the end of this year and it's been a you know i i i would say it's an it's a pleasant kind of bonus to the equation it's never going to be the majority of our business we are we're not taking radio spots we're taking audio you know our 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 copy is all host read it's often read by our founders um the 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 programmatic side of things is a nice thing because it fills that unsold inventory, which while low for us, the other, there's lots of, you know, kind of low hanging fruit there. Um, one, international monetization, which we're not focused on at this point. Uh, two, it actually gives us, um, prospects, right? Like we see, we see who's running programmatically. And when, when that gets placed on our shows, if we see a continued like month over month, spend is increasing, spend is decreasing, uh, you know, we can approach those people directly and say, clearly your audience is here or your platform thinks your audience is here. Why don't we talk about doing something with us directly on a more integrated approach with a host, you know, with a host who actually believes in your product. Um, and that's a pretty easy, um, you know, narrative to have. It already works. So let's take it to the next level. So, you know, the growth on that side of things is pretty consistent. Uh, it's been pretty, or not consistent, pretty significant, uh, this year. And we're, we're betting, uh, pretty heavily into it next year because even with the, you know, macroeconomic trends that we're seeing in the marketplace, and we're, we're still planning for a a very healthy growth year next year. Um, the the fundamental thinking I have is that performative uh, products, perf- products that are, are rooted in performance, like audio with with you know high CPMS and and from direct response advertisers, are things that are going to weather that storm better than you know things that where it's harder to drive that attribution.
1: I am curious, like how much podcast advertising contributes to your bottom line, like in a in a year this year, like what percentage of your revenue is coming from podcasts specifically.
3: Well, currently uh, in 2022, uh our podcast contributed about 15 to 20% of our, our of our total revenue at this point. Uh, and we see that percentage continuing to grow.
1: So compared to 2021, that's up from the year prior, I guess. Yes, it's definitely yeah. up.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean the way that we, you know, fundamentally and yes it's it's you know, uh kind of business business jargon in our industry right now in terms of diversifying revenue. But, you know, we see diversification in multiple fronts. One, and just like you said, you know, Instagram being our biggest platform, that is where for years our business was really rooted in from a from an advertising standpoint with brands. And that's still probably the first place people connect us with. So the opportunity to expand and diversify our advertising revenue into these newer products for us is a big growth opportunity. But then additionally, it's diversifying beyond brand partnerships. So there's two tactics in that in that revenue diversification. But, you know, audio and newsletter slash O&O being areas that we see, you know, the more advertisers that we can get to opt into multi-platform partnerships, we know that that's, you know, not only is that beneficial for us, but it's beneficial for them because we see significantly higher renewal rates.
1: So I think last time we spoke, you had 11 podcast shows. Um, is that still, did you add any this year?
3: Well, we just launched a 12th. We have a 12th called Crown Jewels, which is obsessing over the Royals. Um, And next year we have um, pretty significant uh, ambitions, which I'll I'll let Aileen speak to.
2: Um, Yes, we want to um, definitely grow our podcast between 50% to 100 from from the amount of shows that we have. Um, And the net is 12, but we have some shows that aren't always on. So the ones that are on right now is about 12. Um, But like I said, you'll be seeing, like, we're trying to bring in more talent within Under the Betches Umbrella that aligns with our voice. Again, like, centered around comedy and women's issues and interests. And that's something that we're really, really excited about for next year and the opportunities that it can bring us. Because it's not just um, podcast like I said, it's seeing faces on our on our social channels, creating really funny original content, and also written content across newsletters and our site. Yeah, so um,
1: we have spoken a bit about your creator strategy in the past, and I know you kind of mentioned that um, the personality you know, driven content is a big focus of your growth. Um, How, I guess, are you identifying talent for, like, say, the podcast, right? So, like, uh, other podcast networks that I've spoken to in the past have um, taken a very, I guess, creator-centric approach in order to have a, you know, a better chance at getting listeners, um, especially if they don't have the branding behind it, but, you know, they'll use a celebrity or they'll find someone who already has, like, you know, a million followers on Instagram to promote the show. Um, How are you kind of building out new podcast programming and is it centered around kind of a creator approach or is it more so like finding undiscovered, you know, comedians on, you know, social that you're like, this is a good voice for us?
2: Yeah, um, we're looking at, we're looking at it as a mix. So we're looking for undiscovered comedians to talk about something that they want to talk about that that falls within the betches, something that we would talk about or in the way that we would talk about it. Um, but then we're also looking for larger um, talent or creators to bring in their new audiences for the betches um, for our platform. Um, though unlike other podcast platforms like we really have we have a very distinct POV we have a brand that that supports all the content so our audience when they see a new show coming from Betches they have they have a familiarity they un, they know what to expect and they know it's going to be good they know they're going to laugh they know they're going to be entertained and they know that they're going to feel a sense of community, that they're not alone and that the person who's talking to them, which it's a very intimate relationship when you're listening to a podcast to feel like they're not alone. And, you know, we've done a lot of different studies just for privately to get a sense of like what our audience feels about us. And that's exactly that. That's, that's, that's the sentiment that we get is that like, first and foremost, we make our audience laugh. And second is that we make them we help them kind of take a break from life it's hard work is hard relationships are annoying and kids are a lot <laughs> and so that's what we're there for and we take that as really our directive for bringing in new shows new talent is like can you match that can you do that for the audience with the bretch's brand and voice and then that's when we feel like we'll have a successful formula but it really formula but it really is a mix of everything that you said We're going to take a quick
1: break to hear from our sponsor, then we'll be right back. I know in the past you've had like personalities from, I think, the Bachelor franchise on as like podcast hosts. Um, And I'm curious, like, getting into maybe some of the more. video-focused content, like how important is kind of having a face that people already recognize outside of your kind of ecosystem um, to your strategy? Or are you, because I there's also faces I recognize as being Betch's employees, um, especially on TikTok. I, I don't know her name, but she's a, a blonde. Uh, Nicole Pellegrino. Nicole, <laughs> yeah. Um, I always see she's her funny. coming up and very funny. Um, but Yeah, I guess, like, when you're looking at kind of the personality side of things in a video content realm, because I do want to get into, like, the – I don't want to call it, like, a pivot to short-form video, but I feel like so many publishers are talking about the importance of short-form vertical video again – When you're kind of looking in that realm, how are you approaching the personality in that area?
2: To us, it's less about whether that person is recognizable at first. It's more so if they can create a connection with the audience. That's real just period. So we if we believe that someone has that like potential for connection, they'll get there and become familiar and you'll recognize them. Nicole started off. Not audience facing when she started at Betches, and she's grown within the company. She was the she started in marketing. She worked. She we saw that she definitely has this talent (laughs) for talking to the audience, talking to the camera, specifically around brides. So because as she was you know getting engaged, she got married. So that was where she kind of got her. Just using her as an example, but that's where she kind of became bigger and more recognizable. And now that she is married, you know, we're, we, we want, we want also our talent to like move within Betches and grow their career. It's not just about like, you know, be in some videos. We really want them to, you know, be associate. Like you said, she's associate. She's a Betches celeb, basically. (laughs) You know, this Bravo, Bravo lab. She's Betches (laughs) lab. And um, that's what we're, we really want to create that is like, this is a Betches universe there's really fun, funny people, and we want to bring in a lot more. Um, and that's, yeah. Again, I keep saying that I'm excited, but I'm genuinely excited about
3: it. And, and I think Kaylee, you know, I, as you may have seen, I've started popping up in TikToks, and this is just my track to get a podcast.
1: <laughs> I love it. I'm I'm looking forward to your podcast, actually. Um, oh God. Okay, so <laughs> so how is short form video kind of, uh, you know, getting into that? Like, how is that part of your focus for growth in, you know, 2023? Like, does that, I don't know, does the pivot to short form vertical video kind of like, I don't know, scare you at all because of the last pivot to video? Like, what's the kind of strategy around that because i know like instagram tiktok and now youtube has shorts like it just seems like it's another major f- area of focus but across a lot of platforms not just like facebook um yeah so how's your kind of focus on like that video element in your especially in your social kind of strategy i feel like it's a lot of video meme content that i see
2: i don't think that we've ever pivoted away from short form video as it when it became popular, or even before then, um, it was really that we were testing with like long form. And um obviously it's a lot larger of an investment to do long form. So we pivoted earlier, <laughs> pivoted back or sooner because um we know how to make content for our audience in short form. It comes very, very naturally to us. Um and if anything, we understand like the type of content that makes sense for short form and the type of content that makes sense for long form and they're different. And I think that's, that's the key to the strategy. Um, I, what we are going to continue to do is probably serialize a lot of our short form content. Um, and then you'll see a lot more as it relates to different types of interests and things. But I think what we're pretty good at also is like reactive short form content. It's really important that it's timely. um, And again, that it hooks the audience right in the beginning. Yeah, David, if you have anything to add.
3: Yeah, no, I think that, you know, I think that kind of sits like, this isn't a company that Is pivoting out of a core business of monetizing a giant YouTube following, or saying we have a CTV channel that no one actually has ever watched? Um, What we've, you know, what they've done is they've gone for organic audience engagement from day one, and so you know, short form vertical skits are have been a core of the business for a bit now. And you know, I it's a it's a small and mighty team in the company. It's growing obviously, but it's you know they. They idea and concept in real time, they do plot out a calendar, but you know a lot of it is based on what's going on in the world around them. And I think that that is a, you know, from a brand standpoint, it's a great way to get our brand in front of people. I think that the, you know, again, I think Alien spoke to it earlier, but like this user survey that said, you know, one of the major reasons people come to us is we're a break from the doldrums of their day. Well, we uh, women have only so much free time in the middle of the day when they're juggling everything they have to juggle. I don't know how y'all do it, um, but they, you know, so if, if we can give them something that's incredibly funny in less than sixty seconds, guess what? They're going to share it with all their friends. It's going to slide into the group chat, and that's us, and that's what we want to do. Um, and so, I think it's an incredible marketing vehicle for our brand, and it's a great monetization vehicle because we create. You know, that we use the same sensibility, the same team when we're working with brand partners.
1: Touching on something you said, David, about um, you're not like trying to pivot a long-form, you know, YouTube following into a short-form, you know, video viewership. Like, so your following on YouTube is relatively smaller than your other platforms. Like, I think it was like 12,000 or so. Um But YouTube did just like announce that their shorts platform is going to be like a rev share model. So there's like revenue opportunities there, like direct, uh, indirect revenue. Um, And YouTube historically has been like a, a rather, you know, lucrative platform for other publishers. What's your kind of, I guess, strategy around YouTube shorts, if it is something that you are focusing on, or if it's more of a, you know, we created this TikTok, let's repost it on shorts for now. Like, do you have a I guess strategy to go after the money opportunities that YouTube is kind of touting around their shorts.
3: Yeah, so it's it's actually touching on a couple of different things that we want to do from a business perspective. So, um, yeah, the, the Betches main YouTube channel is about twelve thousand followers. But I believe in October was that when we launched? It was October we brought you up uh, to YouTube, and it was our first time doing you know basically doing in studio podcast video. On a channel, and that's grown to you know almost six thousand subscribers organically in the last month, of, you know, couple of months. Uh, that kind of I think lays into our our short strategy also because while we're also publishing you know long if not full episodes of you up, we're also doing a lot of shorts from the show to get into the feed and start promoting it from that angle. Um, we are also distributing you know our skit content across platforms, and I think we're still in a bit of a you know learn phase in terms of what works there i don't think anyone's really figured out the shorts uh, algorithm other than it's tiktok lite um and so for us i think that you know, if we can take advantage of that, and quite frankly, it's, it's an opportunity for us because if we can take advantage and build scale and build importance in that algorithm, then we might be at a competitive advantage when they do turn on monetization. Um, but, you know, unlike other publishers, I was, I was at a conference a few months ago and I talked to a publisher who has been, you know, heavy in YouTube for a very long time and they lost 40% of their evergreen viewership on a monthly level because of the algorithm change to prioritize shorts. Well, the dirty secret for publishers and monetizing YouTube is you actually make a lot more money publishing really successful really or, or monetizing really successful content from 3 years ago that continues to show up in the feed than you do on any of your new episodes. So that's a major revenue impact that people have to overcome, which is going to create this, you know, the the race to vertical video type thing. I don't know. I mean, I, 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 what I see and what I imagine of this kind of monetization model of like, you know, every fourth, every fourth short is going to be an ad and it's going to be, you know, a rev share. That to me seems like it's going to be harder for uh, individual publishers to really, you know, rely on that as a core business. I could be wrong, but that's why I see it as an opportunity and one we can't ignore but i'm looking at it more from the audience building and the marketing of what we're doing and then secondly we'll see where and we'll we'll see where the monetization comes from.
1: And getting into kind of the production side of things too cuz you mentioned like Nicole is, you know, very reactive and she'll, you know, she has this very quick kind of way of recording these videos and getting them up and i think, you know, you have like that editorial calendar a little bit that you mentioned, but there is a very responsive nature to how you approach videos um what is the production strategy for you guys from a video standpoint it feels like there's a lot of like in the office recording but i've also seen like um you know other users uh, or user generated content being reposted as well like what's your kind of production strategy given that you haven't really or it sounds like you aren't really focused on long form which Tends to have that like larger studio kind of setup and like the investment and that overhead. Like, what's your video production process and even like the staff that you have, kind of like working on that?
2: Um, as David said, our video team is a growing one, but while we are, you know, growing our short form as much as we can, there are a lot of react. There is a lot of reactive content, but there is an editorial calendar, and so there. They are constantly creating videos around key moments and ideas and things like that. Um, So it's it's also a mix of reactive and um, pre-planned, evergreen and 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 non. Um, So it's it's definitely a mix, and that's how we approach all of our content, even our commerce. Um, So, and then I know you said that we're not really you're not you don't see a lot of high like studio production, but I, it's it's not necessary for short form content. People don't, as we're talking about Gen Z, like Gen Z does not react well to highly produced content. They like the, I picked up the phone in my car and recorded this video of this angle that's under my chin. And I need to tell you something immediately. Like that's what they react to. And and, and that's what does well. So we, like I was talking about earlier, you have to make the content that works for the audience and works for the platforms that you're posting them on um, but yeah, we're looking to experiment for sure as our team grows, and as we continue to grow our revenue, we have more to invest, and um we might have some really good long form coming at some point <laughs> soon, but i I you know i again, like we just really try to be very thoughtful and, um, and strategic about like the type of content we make for what platform
3: and being a bit boisterous. I mean, if you look at what we're able to do in reactive and immediacy, just think what we would do with a writer's room, right? Like this is a real, there there is a real opportunity there in terms of this comedy being instantly relatable, uh, you know we female comedy is is effort, it's incredible and it's a huge opportunity still in the space that's that's taken a lot of advancement of the last 10 20 years but it's still an underserved audience and so i think that that's you know aspirational also a kind of a no brainer in the eventuality
1: kind of getting into the advertising side of things cuz i'm curious how um you factor in either is it more so branded content that you have from like a, a revenue standpoint or are you doing more like, I don't know, is like product placement what you would call like a branded post? I'm not really sure what the, all the terms are, but yeah. what's your kind of advertising around short form video and how has that, you know, performed in the past year as well? Yeah.
3: Um, you know, our business is, you know, still at its core, rooted in in, in integrations. Let's just kind of call it as a, a, a catch-all term is integrations into our content. We work with our content creators to create stuff based on brand briefs. Um, we integrate product or messaging into content, whether it be, you know, as simple as a, a string of memes that we've created or tweet memes, you know, where you, you do, you know, humor and text. Uh, to sketches that we create on behalf, and we you know recently had one, and I know this is gonna air a little bit later, but you know for for Wednesday on Netflix, uh we had a skit uh, that I believe is one of our best performing videos of the year, and that's and uh, that's a branded video you know where quite frankly, the platforms deprioritize it, so you're you're so they want you to pay against it um so you know our core business is figuring out how we can seamlessly integrate our partners into our brand. And I think that creates a lot of value in the, in the exchange system. And I, you know, this is what I talk about, which is, you know, everything we do is sort of organic. It's not sort of, it is organic by nature. When we're putting together like a media plan, it's based on what a video in a reel will do on Thursday for that thing. And that's how we estimate performance. It's not based on what a lot of publishers do, which is uploading a video as a dark post and then buying 99.9% of the views. Um, which I think one creates a ton of value, right? We're actually talking about organic engagement. The other thing that it presents is we've created a naturally scarce environment. We're not publishing 42 advertisers a day and you know, dark posting six guys in the same category uh, on the same channel because they can't see it, they can't see their competitive. We by default kind of take a we have to have competitive separation. We can only do so much with each individual, with uh, with a partner on each handle. So like one branded piece a day per social handle. In our podcasts, if you're the category advertiser that month, there's exclusivity. So there's that environment that you are, as an advertiser, you're getting a lot of value into that space. You're getting a premium ecosystem. And that's what we see is what's driving, you know, that drives an incredible value exchange with the the marketplace that people, once they, you know, grasp onto it and then see on the back end, whether it be purely engagement or comments or reactions to, you know, selling product or driving people into your store, we consistently see that we're we're outperforming what their expectations are.
1: Right, got it. And so I do want to, because I know we talked, David, um, about a month ago about your, you know, leading into 2023, how you feel like you're in a better position um, in terms of like, you know, upcoming campaigns and, Brand deals than you were going into 2022, um, which I, it's I think a little unusual for what other you know publishers are experiencing, and so I do want to talk about your outlook for 2023. But before doing that, um, can you share like what your kind of holistic revenue growth looks like for 2022 and how you're kind of ending this year? Um, which I think again from what we've discussed. Is a little unusual for other (laughs) compared to other digital media companies.
3: Yeah, Um, basically coming out of the pandemic, um, we've organically grown on an annualized rate of about thirty five percent year over year. Um, This year, we're going to finish over forty percent growth year over year, Uh, and I think when we as we're looking into twenty three, we still see similar growth trajectory. Uh, And I think it comes down to a couple of things. I mean, when you're Reading about the the trends in the in, in the ecosystem I think that one you're dealing with a lot of You have you know, there was a study that recently came out. I believe it was the IAB It's like yes, the the market's gonna grow 6% instead of 9% next year And the major ones that are gonna fall are linear television. Yeah, uh, and, you know, these kind of legacy products that are outdated, but have kind of carried the bell weight. I think the same thing kind of happens in in, in digital publishing. Uh, you know, if you are a massively scaled publisher who has a very large uh, percentage of your business tied to direct display, that's risky, right? There are easier ways to do that. Um, especially if you're non-differentiated, which unfortunately, because of we've spent the last twenty years on the internet chasing scale at, at all costs on the, in digital publishing, that creates a lot of risk. So the, on the on the flip side, when you look at batches, we are truly distinct. If you want to bucket us in comedy, we're the leading female voice in that space. If you want to bucket us in female lifestyle, by God, we are differentiated from what female lifestyle media is today. Which, let's just be honest, is basic. Um, we have a truly <laughs> distinct voice, and that creates an opportunity both from a, a value exchange, but also from a marketplace. And I think the big thing that you know I saw, even you know talking with the founders and the team as I was joining the company. There's a lot of stones to still be unturned. The majority of marketers happen to be in our demographic. Most of them, as I find out, are fans of us. They have not looked at us from a business perspective. So, if we can connect those dots, there's a huge opportunity there. And so, I'm projecting growth not on, you know, not just solely on market dominance or historical trends, I'm still in a growth business. And even going into economic uncertainty, uh, a growth business still has incredible growth opportunities. Maybe it's not as high as it could have been if you know we were back in you know right at the beginning of the right at the end of the pandemic when everyone oh, it turned on the lights and realized they had marketing dollars to spend. But uh, you know we're in a. I'm very confident that we're set up for success next year because let's be honest, our audiences our audience is the one that's out there spending money. And to me, like. That's a that's a huge opportunity to tap into. And we're not in the formats or the mediums that are projected to be negative.
1: Yeah. And so just uh, the, the 40% growth that you, you're expecting for 2022, is that like, I guess, can you share like a hard revenue figure of like how much total revenue you're planning to
2: make from that? We would rather speak in percentages if that's okay got it I have to
3: ask um, of course okay but I think but I and if I can and I'll and I'll be kind of bullish because I you know I'll be very honest this is also a shocking place this is a 11 year old startup that has been built it was built with you know scrapped together by three girls who started it in college and has been profitable a since what year long time ago <laughs> yeah. like we've run we've never run on the idea of oh well we can at best break even or we can be in the red because next year we'll hit growth. Right. We don't have the, the, that strategy. This has been a purely organic strategy. So, you know, we are, we're not a massive business. We're a pivotal business. And I think that that's a real, that's, you know, having that core kind of business acumen, which let's be honest, it seems like our industry doesn't in many ways. I think creates a real position of strength that you're making decisions based on, you know, what's the actual impact? What's the long term impact? And we also are coming from a position of strength that we're, we have the, the capital internally. We don't need to go, re, you know, we don't need to do these things to survive. Um, you know, that's a really, for me as a, as a person in my role, it is a complete change of perspective of what I've worked on or, or what I've seen over the last 12 years. Um, and it's, it's really, you know, refreshing and exciting as a challenge to look at that kind of landscape.
1: So I guess in the last couple of minutes uh, we didn't talk about so much about like commerce or uh, your experiential all too much, but I am curious about going into twenty twenty three your expectations for those two businesses. Um, so this episode is going up, you know, beginning of twenty twenty three. But at the end of twenty twenty two, I had Riva Syrup on from um, Apartment Therapy Media, and she was talking about moving their uh, marquee kind of like tentpole event later in the year in order to give. Advertisers, but also consumers, more time to save up from, you know, any potential economic downturns. Make sure that they are able to, you know, attend the event and spend money at the event because it's a commerce-driven event. Um, So they move their event later in the year. I'm curious about your commerce business and your experiential business. If the kind of economic concerns from a consumer standpoint, those who are, um, you know, maybe feeling the the tightness on their wallets, if you have a strategy around making sure that they're able to still, I, I guess like how you're framing those businesses around what like consumers themselves might be facing in the new year. Obviously, obviously you see a lot of opportunity from an advertising standpoint, um, given like, you know, you're in a growth period, but you know, the economic impact on consumers is also something to consider, um, yeah how are you kind of approaching those two businesses in the coming
2: year
3: and I think we um yeah and I think that that's a it's a something you have to keep in mind right we you have to keep in mind what's going on not only for individuals what's going on in the narrative in the world and things like that, and not kind of go against that too well or seem insensitive to it um I think from our business like we've had a very successful merch business for for years. Um, selling based on our brands, and we're gonna continue, you know, we're 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 kind of recentering around around our membership and community to give it a little bit more scarcity, to be honest, But that's not to say that we're not gonna have, you know, reactive stuff based on Taylor Swift's new album. Hey, if she could come out with a a new album every two months, I think I'd hit my revenue goals. Um, but uh, you know, that is one side of it. I think the other thing when it comes to events, you know, we are definitely, um, you know, thinking forward in terms of events as another like community touch point. And so rather than it being, you know, a service driven event, a lot of our stuff is tied around, you know, how can we entertain you? And we're an entertainment brand. So how can we entertain you? Can we do, you know, we uh, want to get back into sort of our roots. Like, can we do a comedy showcase That's community driven. Can we do, you know, you up live will happen again this year. It is a relatively affordable ticket for a really fun night out. Um, So a lot of our experiential business is driven on entertainment. And how can we expand that? And let's be honest, like, entertainment is one of those things that's relatively recession proof, as long as we're not, you know, selling $400 tickets to, to see a band that's 92 years old.
1: And that um, membership, that's what you were talking about earlier, Aileen, about your um, subscription to podcasts. Is that the membership there or do you have something separate?
2: It's a step towards that. The, the membership to the podcast, that's strictly like uh, new exclusive content that's um, gated for members. Um, but the membership that David's talking about is a future strategy that we're working on. And again, how to activate our community even further and how to add value. Um, but yeah, and not, and not only is our commerce um, entertainment, but we've launched an alcohol brand, which is also a form of... It does well in a recession as well. So, And then even if you were to look at affiliate, we really are part of our audience. We understand. We hire people that really understand what content or what does well. So we're quick to pivot to the type of affiliate or commerce content that makes sense for what the audience is going through.
1: All right. Well, it sounds like there's a lot on the horizon for 2023. You're still expecting growth, new membership kind of models coming. So... Maybe in a year and a half, we'll be able to check in on those new businesses again. But thank you guys so much for joining me on the podcast today. I really appreciate
3: it. Thank Thank you, Kaylee, for having us.
1: All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Digiday podcast. Please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. We'll be back next week with another episode.